Welcome to Getting Unstuck. My hope is this podcast helps you get unstuck so you can begin living the life you've always dreamed of. Hey everyone, it's Sharon and welcome back to Getting Unstuck. My co-host today is Kim Kimball and Kim is a life coach and a doctor of physical therapy. Her mission is to help women have deeply satisfying and connected relationships with themselves and others. Kim coaches women to reclaim the life of joy, ease, and belonging that has always been theirs. Welcome, Kim, to the show. I just had a thought as I was reading that too. I'm like, isn't that the truth though, that it does belong to us? And probably as a life coach, your job is just to help kind of peel the onion layers back to show them how it's theirs and that joy and ease is there right? Exactly. You got it. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. I'm so happy to be here. Very welcome. I'm looking forward to our conversation, but the one thing I want to start with is your story, because everyone loves a good story. Yeah. And your story that we're going to talk about in Thailand is my biggest nightmare. <laughs> I, my I biggest... Would, yeah, I think it's most people's. <laughs> yeah. So if you would share with us what happened to you in Thailand and how it shaped you into who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to share. Um, so I was with a man at the time that I thought that I was going to marry. This was about six years ago now. Um, and we decided to take a vacation backpacking around um, Southeast Asia together. And I had in my mind that at the end of that trip, I was going to come back engaged and we were gonna start a beautiful life together. Um, even my mom told me, you know, I thought you were gonna come back and you were gonna have an engagement ring on your finger. And I think there was a lot of unconscious, I was unconsciously very unhappy in my life. Like, I, I don't think that I had really tapped the depths of how unhappy I was. And the fact that I was really putting all my eggs in the basket of, when I get married to this man that I love, then I can be happy, right? Then I can start the life that I really long for and the life that I really desire. Um, so I went on this trip, obviously a whole heap of expectation on the trip. What ended up happening was at the end of the three weeks of our beautiful, adventurous Southeast Asian, Asian vacation, he broke up with me and he said, I don't think that we're supposed to be together. And he ended up going off to China and I had paid for our plane tickets home. And so I'm going home from Thailand with an empty plane seat beside me, right? Which is just like this huge visual representation of this now empty space in my life that had held all of these expectations and hopes and dreams. Literally the only way that I got through that plane trip back was I took Benadryl and just passed out in the seat beside me. I made sure to tell the person beside me, hey, I paid for this seat. I'm just not not using this seat, you know, and you can't use it. I literally paid for this seat and I'm going to sleep in it because I cannot cope with being awake at the moment. The only thing I remember was the trays, um, you know, being lowered down to put my food the whole time. That was the only time that I would wake up the entire way home. When I came home, there was an expectation that he was going to pay me back for all of these things that I paid for on the trip. And it ended up that he essentially stole over $2,000 from me. He didn't reimburse me for anything on the trip. 
um, I would see pictures of him getting sleeves of tattoos and yet not paying me back, which of course, you know, obviously that was very expensive, but the priority wasn't there to pay me back. And so the turnaround in all of this is I realized, first of all, it made me realize how deeply unhappy I was in my life and how much I said I was putting my, all of my eggs in that basket of when I do this, then I can be happy. But it also made me really realize on this very deep visceral level, like no one is coming to save me in my own life. There's no one that's coming to create the life that I want to live. I have to do that. I have to be responsible for that. And so it was this really big, honestly, seismic shift where I began to take radical responsibility for my life and what I wanted in my life and powerfully creating that really from the ground up, um, taking so much time to really say what is working, what isn't working, what needs to change, how do I go about doing that and, and really taking years from that point forward to rebuild the life that I wanted to live in. But that was sort of the, the catalyst, if you would. It obviously turned around to be something that allowed me to step into my life in a whole new way. Usually the tough things in life like that are the catalyst for, it's the launching pad, right? Because yeah. it's the universe's way of saying to you or your soul, whatever we want to call it, that things aren't working the way they should. And yes. it is, I think a lot of women tend to take their happiness eggs and put in put them in one basket. And then if like what happened with you, if he goes away, he dies, whatever, then you're left with like, now I don't know how to fill myself up. So is that when you got back from Thailand, is that when you decided to become a coach? So funny enough, I, <laughs> I laugh kind of thinking about this, but I decided to quit my job at that point and backpack around the world by myself. So I ended up backpacking around the world by myself for four months. And I always tell people, because they, they always say, oh, you went on your own eat, pray, love journey. Yes, I went on my own eat, pray, love yeah. journey. Um, so I started in Iceland. I ended up in Southeast Asia again. Um, I literally went all the way around the world. And I used that time as such a deep, just deep discovery of, like I said, what do I want? What do I not want? What needs to change here? Um, and when I came back, I was so clear, so clear for the first time in my life, because for me specifically, I needed to really extricate myself from all of those outside influences and all of the expectations and all of the shoulds and all of the, you know, my family wants this thing and I want this thing. I really needed to be alone with myself and my thoughts and what I really wanted. Um, and therefore I came back super, super clear. And when I came back, I was super clear um, that I needed a career shift. I needed a career change. And that way I discovered life coaching and I went through, um, you know, a life coach certification program that was glorious and completely life-changing as well. And that, yes, that's when I started coaching. What was the name of that life coaching? It was courageous living coaching certification. That's what I read. That's such an interesting title. Yeah. It was an amazing you program. To, you had to do a lot of your own deep inner work. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So those kind of courses, uh, classes are not easy, right? No, no. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about in our pre-interview was about boundaries and why people have a hard time with them. Is this something you teach while you're coaching? Oh, yes. Boundaries is one of the primary things that I teach. 
And the reason that I find that it's so difficult, um, especially for women, is that boundaries are just kind of taught without any foundational work done underneath them. We're just kind of taught of like, oh, just tell somebody um, this is what you want, this is what you need. And yet there's so many foundational layers underneath that that are missing that if somebody were to try to do that, they would potentially have too much anxiety to do that. They would have too much guilt to do that. They wouldn't feel worthy enough to do that in the first place. And really what needs to be done are these foundational layers underneath and having those set first in order to even to begin to voice what we want, what we need, what our boundaries are. So the foundational work are things like um, really turning inward and knowing what your values are. Because if we don't know what our values are, what are we going to draw a boundary around? Like so many of us haven't even had that internal um, sifting, if you were to, to know what our boundary, what our values are in the first place. The next thing that I find really is sorely missing with people is an attunement to themselves. So many of us live from our head up and we don't really have a lot of awareness around what's going on in our body because all the, the messages that our body is sending us are those messages of what we need boundary around. So it can, it can feel subtle. People cannot even be aware of it, like subtle tinges of anger or resentment, or I've got some tightness in my stomach when this person is telling me this thing that's really my body communicating, oh, this isn't really quite an alignment here and I need to voice something or say something or draw a boundary. But especially in our society, women are taught to focus solely on the other, solely on other people and tune out ourselves entirely. And so there's really that lack of internal attunement. And when you don't have that, what are we basing our boundaries on, right? So we can tell somebody, you know, give somebody a script is normally the way that I see boundaries being taught, you know, give them a script of this is what you need to say. And yet none of this foundational work, learning to feel and understand our own body sensations and what those messages are trying to communicate to us, learning what our values are and really learning who we are, what we want, what makes us come alive, what things do we need to thrive in order to feel okay, right? Because that's different for everybody. So everybody's boundaries are going to need to be different. We can't slap a script on it and expect that to work. Right. So all of the things that I just said and the guilt, as I sort of briefly mentioned, is one of the other main reasons that I see women especially having a really hard time with boundaries because the moment that they set a boundary, they feel really, really guilty about it. Um, and I personally, my philosophy on this is that guilt is going to be there if you are not used to setting boundaries. And we have to learn to see that as a good sign that you're choosing to do something new and different for yourself and that that will get easier and easier. And really the way to help that guilt 
um, a lot is to really turn inward to look at the reason for you setting that boundary versus thinking so much about what it's doing to the other person. Like, what are your reasons for setting the boundary? What values are you upholding for yourself? How are you more in alignment by doing so versus, oh, what does the other person think? What is it doing to them? What are their emotions about it? Because we can get caught up in caretaking the other person's emotions, the other person's needs, the other person's desire. And quite frankly, that isn't our responsibility. Right. Wow. That, you know, I had not thought about that, Kim, that if it's very, it must be hard for people who don't know their own worth and have their own set of values to set a boundary with someone. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's nearly impossible. Yeah. Yes. And I think that is so brilliant of you that there definitely has to be a foundation laid in order for those boundaries to be put in place without feeling guilty about it. Yeah. yeah. And we live in a culture where we just want the five steps, right? The five steps to boundaries. And we want to, we want to be able to slap, to slap a script on it. And we want to be able to have a quick fix. And those things are band-aids. And I like to go for the deep changes that are actually going to make lasting changes in your life. And it's doing this more foundational work first that allows you to be able to set boundaries with ease. And it's a practice, but it becomes more and more and more useful. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, we are just, when we're not setting boundaries, we end up walking around feeling like a bunch of martyrs and then we have resentments yeah. and, you know, that's not good for any relationship. So I really love the foundational process that you've laid out there. Yeah. Why do you think or what keeps women, women from finding ease and joy in their life? Yeah. Do you think we're hard? This is maybe a two-part question too. Do you think mm -hmm. women are hardwired? to just constantly be giving and not taking time and creating space for what they want. Kind of like what you were talking about, the boundaries mm. as well as how guilty we feel. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that is hardwired. I think it's something that is wired, maybe wired, but not hardwired because of culture, because of societal, cultural, sociocultural expectations. Um, we live in a very patriarchal culture and within that very patriarchal culture is this, this underlying, like, I look at it as this like river that has a really strong current that we're all swimming in, whether we know it or not. And within that is this underlying um, being, you know, theme of women getting our worth and getting our value how we mainly garner that worth and value is from caretaking others and how well we caretake, how much we can put others' needs before our own, how quote unquote unselfish we can be. Really it's this, um, we, we are applauded for having a lack of self. Wow. And that can be really startling to hear, but the more selfless we are, the more we are applauded as women. And so it's this very countercultural undoing, just like you were talking about at the beginning of having to peel back the layers. It's this very, um, it's this undoing that needs to happen where we reclaim our right to have a self. We reclaim and reassert, I am a self and I do have opinions and thoughts and ideas and I do need boundaries and space and these are the things that I personally need to thrive, right? So I don't think it's hardwired in that like it's in our makeup and it's just how we are. I think that it's the 
cultural pool that we're swimming in, if you would. I would and agree with that, yeah. Yeah, why I think it's so hard for women, I think there's a, a couple of reasons. Obviously, we touched on one. Um, another one, something that I myself personally experienced was that joy and ease actually were triggering to my nervous system. If anybody in here is familiar with nervous system work, it's something that I dive in really deep with with my clients, and I believe it's a key component to our healing. But the reason that joy and ease were really triggering for me is that joy actually has a similar vibration and has a lot of charge to it, to our nervous systems, that's almost um, similar to chaos. And so, you know, growing up in a lot of chaos, joy felt triggering to me because that energy almost felt similar. Um, ease felt triggering to me because honestly, my nervous system didn't have the capacity for ease because I had so much internal narratives around things have to be hard. Um, there, there has to be a struggle, whatever I um, want I have to struggle for and by the sweat of my brow earn it right so um, it's really and, and again this goes back to sort of a capitalistic patriarchal culture these stories these thoughts these ideas um, that we have to constantly be doing in order to be quote-unquote productive and if something isn't productive then it's not worth our time it's not worth our energy it's not worth our effort like what good is ease right um, and so we can feel this profound sense of anxiety underneath because if we are in ease and things are easy and things feel pleasurable, we feel like we're not worth anything. And so it's, it's this kind of vicious loop. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that about joy and chaos mm -hmm. having the same kind of vibration. Yeah. So interesting, Kim. I wanted to ask you another question now. What keeps women hustling and striving for their wholeness? Yeah, so the really interesting thing that I've noticed, and again, I, I noticed most of these things in myself first, and then I'm like, oh, this, this happens, uh, you know, globally and, and other women as well, not just in myself. Um, so I always want to include myself in the conversation. Um, but really and in truly, we take what we were doing before in another aspect. We were striving for perfectionism a lot of the time. We were striving to be good. We were striving to be perfect. We were striving to be viewed in a certain way. And then we take that and we just put it and slap it right on top of our now healing journey that we're on. And so we've taken the same principles and applied it to our healing. And so we're, we end up going about our healing from this place of I'm broken, I need to be fixed. Maybe when I have done enough inner work, then I can free, be free. When I have healed X, Y, Z, then I can be free, right? We slap all of these conditions and it's just another endless treadmill that we're on. Instead of just like you were talking about at the beginning in the in intro, you know, all of these things all of this wholeness is already ours and we're simply uncovering it. We are simply sifting through the things that are not us and have never been us and our adaptations that are no longer working for us to really reveal the brilliance and the wholeness that has always been theirs and approaching ourselves from that mindset is a complete switch instead of just slapping on top of it that same programming that we're used to. 
makes makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Um, what? Tell me what you love about um, coaching. Hard to even say. I, I love everything about coaching. So it's more like, what don't I love about coaching? But what <laughs> nice. I what I love about coaching. Um, I love what you do. Yeah. What I love about coaching more than anything, you know, before I got into coaching, Sharon, I was in counseling for, I believe over 20 plus years. And while I will never, you will never hear me not counseling. I still do counseling at times when I need it. I think it's such a necessary thing and a, and a beautiful profession, but what was really lacking for me and what I have found in coaching is really helping me move towards something rather than just endlessly talking about and understanding past trauma. So what I love so much about coaching is that it really gives you this toolbox to understand yourself and to understand why you do certain things and how to go about potentially shifting it and changing it and giving you the toolbox to do that, not just like endlessly unpacking what's not working, but really giving you this roadmap and somebody to walk beside you and support you while you expand into what you actually want and what is actually possible for you. Sort of blowing the lid off of what you thought was possible in the first place. So it's really that those tools for change, understanding why you're doing what you're doing and the tools to change and do something different that I love. I love that. Yeah. 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 I love the description as well about the toolbox because I'm, I'm always trying to give my clients the same thing, like spiritual tools in your toolbox, because inevitably, even when most of us or some of us can live a life of joy and ease, we're going to hit a few hiccups in life. It's just inevitable. It's how life is. But when you have the tools to deal with them, then what is just a hiccup does not turn into a crisis. Absolutely. A thousand yeah. percent. Yeah. And it's so great to watch a client have an aha moment or, or really yeah, overcome. completely shift their life, yes. completely shift their life. Yes. 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 Where do you think most women are blocked or, and, or, um, where does self-sabotage come in as well? Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of a unique perspective on self-sabotage and blocks in that I know that there's a lot of teachings and this goes for the inner critic too. Um, a lot of times I see people really want to attack, if you would, the inner critic, self-sabotage and blocks, and they view these things as bad and they just need to overcome them, right? And the way that I view self-sabotage and blocks is that they are all coming from a place of self-protection. And so it, all of them, if we can really learn to see it this way of realizing, oh man, I'm not trying to hold myself back. I'm just trying to protect myself. And this feels deeply protective to me. And until like, for example, I'm just going to give you a really common example, procrastination, you know, people will beat themselves up over procrastination all the live long day of like, why can't I just do the thing that I want to do, right? Why can't I write the paper or, um, you know, do the speaking event or, you know, whatever it is that you may really be desiring and you can't figure out why so many other things will come up in your day 
you will put that off until the last minute. You don't have any time. And then what happens is you end up beating yourself up about it and calling yourself lazy, calling yourself inept in some way, and you're faulting yourself. But in reality, that is a self-protection. And if we can start to view it that way, we really give ourselves so much more love, so much more compassion, so much more understanding. For example, a lot of the things that are underneath procrastination is, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of my voice and my opinion getting out there. That's really scary for me. And it doesn't feel like a safe thing for me to do that. So it's protecting me from having to do that, right? So until we actually address that underlying wound that's going on there, we're never going to get past that procrastination because we it's still a tool that our body and our mind is using to protect us in that way. And until we feel safe to move forward, we're going to keep fighting with ourselves. And when we can actually address the underlying need underneath, then it allows us to move forward, having the full cooperation of our minds and our hearts and our bodies, because we feel safe to do so. That is genius, Kim. And I was pointing to myself when you were talking about procrastination, because <laughs> that is one of the characteristics that I'd love to change about myself, like across yeah. the board in every area I like drag my feet, drag my feet, drag my feet. So I need to get to the root to understand that. And, and I love that, that it's all about protection. Yeah. It always, always, always is really a beautiful question that we can ask ourselves if there's a habit or a coping mechanism that we feel like has sort of outlived its usefulness, just asking ourselves, how is this protective to me right now with so much compassion and so much love? And seeing what comes up. Oh my God. Well, um, we're out of time, but I just want to say thank you so much. This conversation has been really enlightening for me. And I, um, I'm going to leave your um, social media information on the page notes. Are you take, currently taking clients? I am. Yes. Okay. I imagine you're doing most of them by Zoom. You probably have them from all over the country. And Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have people from all over the place. Um, and I do only work in a one-on-one -on -one capacity at the moment. So I'm a depth coach. I do deep dive coaching. Um, and I do have one-on-one -on -one spots available. So I'll put that in the notes as well. And I, again, thank you for your time. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me again.